the optical links will be the equivalent of the transatlantic fiber cables that, that run between continents. There'll be these optical links that provide that high bandwidth uh, trunk line between the Earth and, and the Moon or between the Earth and Mars or Earth and, and wherever. A primary objective of LCRD is to not just learn and understand how to use this uh, technology operationally for, for NASA use, but it's also for commercial use and, and any other applications. Welcome back to Small Steps, Giant Leaps, a NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast where we tap into project experiences to share best practices, lessons learned, and novel ideas. I'm Dina Nunley. Radio waves have been used successfully in space communications since the beginning of space exploration, but enhanced communications capabilities are a necessity as space missions generate and collect more data. Optical communications will provide significant benefits for space missions, including as much as 100 times more bandwidth than radio frequency systems. NASA's Laser Communications Relay Demonstration, planned for launch in the near future, will showcase the unique capabilities of optical communications. And LCRD Principal Investigator Dave Israel is here to talk with us about the mission. Dave, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here. Could you give us a quick overview of the laser communications relay demonstration? Sure. Uh, so, so it's um, as as the name implies, it it is a, a demonstration of using lasers to perform uh, relay uh, communications, and by relay that uh, means we have two laser communications terminals or optical communications terminals, uh, which, which are telescopes uh, connected to modems that have uh, you know using laser beams. Uh, to, to then set up uh, laser links, so the the uh, the two separate optical terminals allow us to connect to uh, one user using uh, the laser, and then relay that data back to Earth through a second laser communications uh, link. So our our mission will be uh, on a, a spacecraft, uh, the STP Set Six uh, spacecraft that will be at at a geosynchronous um, orbital location. And uh, in the beginning, we'll have two ground stations, one in Hawaii and one in California, and we'll have an optical link uh, connected from one of those ground stations up to space. And then we will take the data off of that link and then relay it back down uh, to the other ground ground station. What are the key objectives of LCRD? So, so LCRD is is beyond a um, straight technology demonstration mission. It's it's more of an operational operations demonstration mission. There was a, a highly successful mission that flew in 2013 on, on the LADEE spacecraft to the moon, and that was called the Lunar Laser Communications Demonstration. And that was uh, a straight technology demonstration. There were people that had some doubts about whether or not we would be able to successfully uh, connect a, an optical terminal moving in space with the terminal uh, here on, on Earth. And that mission uh, demonstrated that that uh, very quickly the two terminals could find each other, and we were able to transmit through the atmosphere and uh, do the highest data rate ever to and to and from the the moon, and do it all by by lasers. And um, it was very successful, except by design, it was uh, short lived because the Laddie spacecraft that it was was on was designed. To uh, after a period of taking measurements to actually crash into the moon and make some measurements when when that happens. So our laser communications terminal 
was still working, but but then was uh, crashed in, into into the moon. So so the amount of uh, experience that we got with uh, space uh, you know, free space optical com was was measured in in hours uh, for that mission. So uh, so though the technology has been proven with LCRD, we're going to have two years of operations and experiments uh, on orbit to do long term demonstrations and characterization of uh, how optical links work through the atmosphere, refine our models of, of uh, weather and atmospheric effects, and, and also just um, gain experience of, of operating uh, optical links in a, a manner that, that we can try different things because it's a, it's a demonstration. We're, we're not uh, supporting operational users yet, so we'll be able to collect the data from experience that will allow us to come up with the requirements and the designs and understand how once we use this operationally, um, we, we will know how to do it. We've got um, you know, 50, 60 years of experience of how to do uh, communications using um, RF links or, or radio waves to and from space. But um, So there's a lot that we do now that, that maybe some of us don't even know why that's the standard way we do things. But a lot of the things that we do were gained through experience over the years, and, and we're getting that first experience now with optical com through LCRD. So we're seeing this shift from radio waves to optical communications. Yeah, the the uh, the big shift from from radio waves to, to lasers, and and a good trick question to um, uh, to ask your your friends, or, or I, I like to, to use this and uh, on a class of things is uh, which signal gets uh, faster to some place, a, a laser com link or, or a radio wave link, and and um, and really, the the answer is they happen at the same time. It's both going at the speed of light. But the reason, but the reason why um, why uh, people think of lasers as being faster is because uh, uh, we're able to to carry higher data rates on on those uh, uh, using the the laser wavelength as as our carrier frequency. So having that that uh, smaller wavelength gives us the ability to to send more data from a bandwidth point of view. And also the, the way the physics works out is that, um, and people you know, use the term laser as like being laser focused on something, that, that, that focus, that, that power all concentrated uh, in, in a smaller beam is what allows you to deliver more power to the thing that you're trying to communicate with, which then means that, that uh, you're not wasting your energy uh, sending communication signals to people that aren't listening and it makes it a more efficient way to communicate as well. So uh, the end result of, of those factors gives you uh, the benefit of um, not just higher data rates, but you can have smaller systems in, from a size, weight, and power point of view. You can have uh, telescopes that are much smaller in diameter than, than the antennas that, that you know, people are used to seeing on, on Earth to communicate with space or on spacecraft uh, to communicate back with Earth. Let's talk about LCRD experiments. How does the guest experimenter program work, and who can participate? Yeah, so, so LCRD and uh, a primary objective of LCRD is to not just learn and understand how to use this uh, technology operationally for for NASA use, but it's also for commercial use and and any other applications. So, so we have our own experiments that we're doing to. Uh, emulate uh, what uh, how we would use this to support an orbiting mission for us to uh, like I said ca- better calibrate and characterize the uh, the weather and atmospheric effects. We want to learn how quickly we can 
handover from one ground station to another ground station and uh, how well we can predict based on weather forecasts how the link is going to degrade. So those are our types of experiments. Um, but the, the guest experimenter program makes it uh, an opportunity for others uh, to come in with uh, you know, some examples would be uh, uh, from a, a science perspective, somebody is saying, I, I have this mission, it's going to go out to uh, uh, Lagrange Point, and uh, because of the benefits of uh, LaserCom, we think we want to use it, but we're not sure because of the weather and atmosphere, whether or not we're really going to get all the data that people think, it, we think the link's going to be down all the time. So we can configure our system to, to match that scenario, even though the link will be coming from uh, geo-orbit, um, all the weather and the atmospheric data will, will work. Uh, but then there's commercial type applications. Uh, um, you know, optical links uh, from space to ground have uh, commercial benefits. Uh, in uh, you know, one one benefit is is what I described that it, you can carry uh, higher data rates. Another benefit is that uh, optical communications aren't subject to the same frequency and and spectrum regulations that RF frequencies are. So there's some advantages there as well. So. There may be some commercial uh, provider or commercial interest that may want to um, better understand how they would be able to operate or depend upon or, or specify a, a, a space-to-ground to um, optical link. Uh, there's, there's a whole assortment of other categories. We have uh, the ability to um, connect other people's uh, uh, modems or, or systems out at our, our ground station to communicate with LCRD. Um, you know, the, of course, there's quite a bit we have to go through to make sure it'll be uh, compatible and, and work it all out so that it can connect. But, um, you know, that that's uh, that's possible as well. So, so there's, there's a, a wide range of uh, things possible and and the program is is open to to anybody. There, there's um, on our LCRD uh, website, there's there's a link to send an email to inquire further. There's also a, a document called Introduction for experimenters um, that gives an overview and, and starts to give uh, more ideas of what types of experiments would be possible. Sounds good. And we'll post a link in our related resources. That's great. Yeah, no problem. Dave, what's the plan for daily operations, especially from an engineering perspective? So once uh, once we're on orbit and uh, and the uh, payload is is checked out, so that's uh, after a couple of uh, months, then they you know there's a virtual handing the keys over to me and, and the experiment team, and then uh, we will have our, our prioritized list of our NASA experiments and and the guest experiments, and and in advance we'll we'll have it planned out and a, a schedule will be given to the ops team. Uh, to to run the particular experiments, there, there's some experiments that maybe the experimenter will have to be, you know, will want to be watching or involved, and in, and it's more interactive. There's other types of experiments where it's like, um, you know, run the link in this configuration for a certain number of hours or, or days, and and uh, tell us what what happened. Uh, but but the um, the ops team will step through each of these experiments. We'll have primary and backup experiments. So if, if uh, it's an experiment that depends on the two ground stations and one ground station is cloudy, then there'll be backup plans. So currently we're, we're planning a 40-hour a, a, uh, a week um, ex- running the, the experiments and, and activating the links. And uh, th- those 40 hours are not going to be the same 40 hours 
every day because uh, it'll it'll shift in time because we want to characterize the performance at at all times of day, you know, through through all all this season. So so we'll we'll be keeping the the links um, very very active uh, and and configuring in in different ways uh, th- throughout the whole experiment period. With so much going on and so many experiments, how will you know that the mission is successful? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So, so uh, success is is uh, you know measured in in different ways. The, you know, the very NASA way that we do it is that we have our our minimum and full success criteria that we have, where there, there's uh, you know a certain number of experiments for a certain amount of time and and identified experiments that that we that we need to do to claim minimum success and, and full success. Uh, but, but really uh, uh, for me, the, the thing that's um, uh, less quantifiable, but, but how I'll, I'll know we're successful is when I, I start to see uh, either uh, commercial service providers or, or any other, you know, commercial entity or NASA missions or any place where uh, future systems are being developed and then put into operations and, and they've, uh, got that last bit of confidence that they need through either data or, you know, just working with us or just seeing our success that, um, that it then leads to, to optical comm not being a NASA technology demonstration anymore. It, it's an, an everyday way that, that people are, are operating. So once I start to see that happening, then that's when I'll, I'll look back and say, yes, that, that really was successful. And following on with that thought, what do you envision as the impact of this mission on future space exploration? So I, I do think that that, uh, uh, that that grand vision of what I what I think it will look like to be successful. I do have high confidence that that, that will will happen. One one of the great things about the this uh, technology demonstration mission program part of NASA's uh, uh, STMD portfolio is is the idea that there's certain technologies that or maybe past the uh, technology demonstration point, like a, a pure, like, will the technology work? But they're still at a stage where where folks, for whatever combination of reasons, aren't comfortable to use them operationally. And, and that's this this gap filler, this, this gap that, that missions like, like LCRD are for. So, so once, once we have our success and, and we do it, then I think it'll, it'll, Get things over over the the hump, so that then the impact on on future NASA missions will be things like like the um, you know what comes after JWST, uh, for example. Uh, those science missions not only will the scope of their their science grow, um, but but they'll know that they can get a much higher data rate down. So so they'll just be able to collect a, a whole lot more more science, right? So so we'll just start to to see that happen. Um, uh, with the lunar and, and Mars exploration, the optical links will be the equivalent of the transatlantic fiber cables that, that run between continents. There'll be these optical links that provide that high bandwidth uh, trunk line between the Earth and, and the Moon or between the Earth and Mars or Earth and, and wherever, right? So so I, I think the, the impact on, on our NASA plans and, and goals will directly follow once, once we get, get this, uh, this confidence boost and in, in increased knowledge. We're all looking forward to LCRD. This has been very informative. Dave, thank you for taking time to join us today on the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here, and I'm, I'm very, uh, I guess, excited is the word that, that keeps coming up. So, so yes, thanks. <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts? 
I guess my my closing thoughts go really to uh, talking about all all the the people, and and I, I just just want to thank and acknowledge all the all the many people that have done the hard work to make this a, a reality. I I joke to people that my job as a PI is sort of like to draw cartoons and and pictures and and imagine things, and and it's uh, you know lots of other people that are doing the hard work to make it really happen. So so I just want to thank those people and and tell them how how appreciative I am of that. You'll find Dave's bio, links to related resources, and a transcript of today's episode at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. If you want to hear more about LCRD and space communications, check out another NASA podcast, The Invisible Network. And speaking of other NASA podcasts, we want to send congrats to Gary Jordan and our friends at Houston We Have a Podcast on the release June 18th of their 200th episode. Great work. You can find these and other NASA podcasts at nasa.gov slash podcasts. As NASA gears up for the Artemis One mission around the moon that will pave the way to send the first woman and the first person of color to the lunar surface, we have an important task for you. Yes, you. Artemis One will be an uncrewed flight test of the Space Launch System rocket and the Orion spacecraft ahead of the first flight with crew on Artemis Two. There won't be any astronauts on board Artemis One, but there will be a very important crew member, the Moonikin. A Moonikin is a mannequin, an anatomical model that simulates the human body and is commonly used in training for emergency rescues, medical education, and research. The Moonikin on Artemis One will be equipped with two radiation sensors and sensors in the seat, one under the headrest and another behind the seat, to record acceleration and vibration throughout the mission as Orion travels around the Moon and back to Earth. Data from these and other sensors inside the spacecraft will help NASA understand how to best protect crew members for Artemis II and beyond. But the Moonikin is currently missing something incredibly important, a name. We have eight names to choose from, but only one can win. Every other day, starting Wednesday, June 16th, we'll be asking social media users on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to vote between one of two names. The winners of each bracket compete with one another until the final showdown on Monday, June 28th. The final name of the Moonikin will be announced on Tuesday, June 29th. So be sure to follow NASA Artemis on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for a chance to vote on your favorite name. For more info, go to nasa.gov slash name the Moonikin. We are also interested in your suggestions for future topics on Small Steps, Giant Leaps. If there's a guest or topic you'd like for us to feature, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple. That's A-P-P-E-L. As always, thanks for listening. <music>